You're listening to Sirens, a true crime podcast brought to you by the Sirens Network. This podcast contains explicit content, so listener discretion is advised. The opinions expressed on this podcast are solely the views of the hosts and do not reflect the views of affiliates, associates, or sponsors of this podcast. A break from our regular programming for this special episode, Raven's Reviews. Hi. Hi. <laughs> I, I had to go ahead and hit the record button because uh, we were chatting before and I was losing mm. a lot of cool stuff. So yeah. the intro part is mm-hmm. just so weird. I'm like, hi. Yeah, hi. Hey, hey hi. How are hey. you? How are you guys doing out there? Yeah. Um, <laughs> I totally understand. <laughs> Hello. Mm-hmm. This is why I have a scripted intro mm-hmm. and that I just put on every single one of them. I guess that, yeah. I always just say, I just started out with, I'm Marnie Vinge and this is your Yoki. There you go. Yeah, and today I've got, yeah, that's exactly what I do every single time. (laughs) Well, I'm Raven Rollins and this is the Siren Pots, the Sirens Podcast. I can't even say my own (laughs) podcast. See, it wouldn't work for me. I would have to record that 1800 times Uh and then use that clip every time. Yeah. Because I can't be trusted. Yeah, I get that. (laughs) I get that. So today we're just going to have a just a conversation all right we're just gonna be talking about some cool stuff shop talk shop talk because yeah. we're both podcasters yep we're both authors yep we're do it all kind of yes. people living the dream <laughs> <laughs> every day every day <laughs> oh good night so yeah uh you have a podcast yes Yuri Oki. Mm-hmm. uh i was gonna ask you where did that start? How often do you do it? What's included in it? A lot of people that listen to us might not know, hey, there's another Oklahoma podcast around okay. here. So um, so basically, okay, so when I was a kid, um, my dad, he was a network manager for Kermagee. I don't know if you remember Kermagee. I know Kermagee. Okay. My yes. listeners know yes. Kermagee. Karen Silkwood. <laughs> yes. 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 Kermagee. Yeah. So, so that was always a sore subject in our oh, household, no. the Karen Silkwood thing. Like oh, my dad wow. was like... I think it was because my dad was such like a, he was just a really good guy. And I think he could not accept that there was any possibility that the company he worked for might've done something bad. Yeah. And so, so he did not like talking about that, (laughs) Um, but he, uh, he would work from home a lot and he had a lot of computer equipment and stuff. And he also had um, a radio in there, like a fancy radio, but it also did like AM FM stuff and um at night he would listen to coast to coast oh I remember that too yes so he would listen to coast to coast and I would come in there and he would tell me now you can only stay in here if you put on your tinfoil hat Uh oh and I didn't know like I didn't know what that meant but I was like cool I get to spend time with my dad yeah and we would listen to these people talk about their alien abduction stories and you know, this, that, the other, Bigfoot, whatever, uh, Elvis at a motel in Vegas. That's amazing. Yeah, that kind of stuff. And um, (laughs) so that really was a great experience that I had with him. And in 2006, he died when I was Mm, 19. I'm sorry. Um, So I never really got to know my dad as an adult. Mm -hmm. And when I was starting the podcast, I wanted to do it because I needed a platform for my books because I was going indie Mm -hmm. and I wanted to have some way to reach an audience and tie that into my books. And at the time I was writing supernatural stuff and the idea just came to me like, 
I was like, you know, I could do something similar to that. Yeah. Like that experience that I had with my dad. And at the time, the books I was writing were kind of about that. The Blair Graves series is Mm -hmm. definitely about like a girl and her dad. And um, he was a famous paranormal radio host. Oh, cool. And and then he goes missing. And so she's like looking for him or she's really bitter about it at first. Like she's very, um, has a lot of anger towards him, which I did when my dad died. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like it was very unfair and, um, why did you leave me? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, That kind of, that kind of thing, especially because I was so young Mm -hmm. and, um, everybody I knew still had both their parents and that was, so that was kind of a crazy experience, but, um, that's how Irioki came to be. Like it was just, kind of a combination of like me needing a platform and then that experience I had as a child with my dad and a love for the supernatural mm-hmm. and dark and weird history stuff all just kind of came together and it was formed. So. And it was. And it was. Written in the history book. Yes. <laughs> and so it went. And so it went. <laughs> so then on your podcast, that's what you talk about. You do some true crime yes. here and there mm-hmm. as well. I think I almost think that we're kind of the opposite. Like I focus here on true crime. Mm-hmm. I cannot wait for spooky season because nobody wants to hear my spooky stuff mm-hmm. until it's spooky season. Right. And then I'm like, okay, we're going to do hauntings. I'm going to have like people on here from podcasts and I'm going to have authors and I'm going to like, yeah. we've, we've got a whole cryptids unscripted oh my God, segment be amazing. and like it's, uh, it's like my favorite. Oh gosh. But if I bog my true crime listeners down, yep. that, they're like, I'm out of here. You're getting weird. Yeah. Yeah. I get that. I think you're the opposite though. Don't yeah. you? You guys do like most of this. Mostly the, paranormal, yeah. mostly spooky or like, um, legends mm-hmm. or dark history, not necessarily true crime, but more like, um, I have Jeff Provine on a lot. I love him. He's, he is like he's a fount of honest. knowledge. Yes. He's going to be with on with us. That's awesome. I need to get Spooky in season. With him. Yeah. He is, I mean, he has, we've done a lot of cool stuff. And he actually found a story about a serial killer or a potential serial killer in Shawnee back a long time ago. And we did a, we did a podcast about that. Interesting. So it's really, he is like one of my favorite people to have on, number one, because he is just like, he knows everything. Like he <laughs> very knowledgeable, very knowledgeable. And when Jeff comes on, my job is so easy. Like <laughs> that's good to it's know. Like he he tells me the story. Like it's very you know because usually the yeah. format is I I am kind of telling my co-host the mm, story exactly and they're commenting yes exactly and yeah so yeah. when Jeff comes on it's a it's a much easier experience for and me much I'm needed sure break it's a much yeah. needed break yes yeah. and I, I'm, I'm sure he will love to hear that I'm letting him do all the work like <laughs> but he he is great he Actually, is fantastic it's funny that you say that because I kind of when we were talking about him coming on the show it's like can you just do it all can you just like pick something and then just come tell me spooky story. He was like, yeah, yeah, I got you. That is his, that is his bag. That is Jeff is excellent at that. He is so amazing at that. Yeah. He, um, I cannot get over how many historical facts, like dates, numbers, uh, Names. That he can just like pick out of his brain yes. from nothing. It is amazing <laughs> to me. Like it is, I, I am always like in constant amazement when he's telling stories. Like, I and wonder stuff. when that X thing happened. Oh, it was 1942. Yes. Nine o'clock PM or whatever. You ever need to know. So if you, if listeners, if you want some good haunted Oklahoma books, go check out his books. Yes. He is. Yes. He's put together a lot of haunted, like Sean. I don't, I don't know if you wrote the Shawnee he's one. He's got a but lot he's of He's got them, a ton though, of them. On Oklahoma. Yes. And he does those. Ghost tours. Ghost tours. In 
Norman and Oklahoma, Oklahoma City. City. Mm-hmm. And I think he might have started a third one, but I'm not sure where it's at. He needs to get his booty up here. Yeah. And do some up here. Yes. Because I'd be on like every single one. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. I am so ready like for the ghost tours this fall because I interviewed the Guthrie ghost tours Ooh. and that those are so fascinating because you go on a tour and you hear like six or seven stories. You do a walking tour of downtown mm-hmm. Guthrie. Yeah. Hear six or seven stories and then you can go back like the next weekend and hear six or seven different stories. Oh, wow. Because they, I remember um, when I went and when I was talking to the lady that owns it, um, they have like 60 or 70 stories just in that downtown area, like highly detailed. Holy cow. Like as verified as you can get with a haunted story. That's pretty wild. Um, so like literally they could do tour after tour and people be hearing new things. I had, yeah. I had a friend that went on like three of those tours and heard different stories every time. Jeez. Yeah. So it's, it is, I highly recommend it if you can get down to Guthrie Dang. for a spooky season. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. We have all of those, um, to, I don't know if a lot of, a lot of people might not know. We also have underground tunnels here in oh, Tulsa. I didn't know that. Yeah. Uh, and Oklahoma City has underground mm-hmm. tunnels. It's like this whole haunted yeah. thing or whatever. And so I have yet to take a tour down here and wait mm-hmm. for somebody cool to mm-hmm. give me a tour. They do have tours down there. It's just like very, very sparse. Okay. Like it's like every now and then you'll have a tour guide. Now, you don't necessarily need a tour guide. There are mm-hmm. parts that is like open. You can just go in. Okay. Um, they are all, I think y'all have to Google this, but they're there. Mm-hmm. And I know that there's a way to get into them and a way to get out of them, but they are like business hours. Like mm-hmm. they're like in businesses. Like you have to like go through their tunnels or whatever. That makes sense there. because that's how the ones are in Guthrie. And mm-hmm. it was a racist thing. Yeah. It was yeah. like, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So And then Oklahoma City has some, too. And that was also a racist thing. (laughs) Well, and I'll tell you, um, the Tulsa ones, I know that um, there was, like, this business guy that Mm. basically built all of the the buildings down there. And back in the days, like, 1930s and 40s, if you had that much money, you had a target on your back. Mm. So he actually built those tunnels to go between all of his own buildings and then go to the bank Mm -hmm. so that he would never have to actually leave outside. Mm -hmm. He would just travel through all those tunnels. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if, because I've never done the tour or anything, Mm -hmm. I don't know if they were used for something else after that or whatever, but, um, but yeah, it's like really interesting stuff. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. somebody's got to get up here and give these dang tours. We have plenty of ghost stuff that can go on down here. So I know that in Oklahoma city, a lot of the tunnels were used by the Chinese population. Oh really? Yes. Because, um, because of racism, like they didn't, people didn't want to see them. And that was the same in Guthrie for the African American population. Yeah. So that was, that's what I was told by Jeff Provine. And then on the Guthrie ghost tour. Yeah. Yeah. Just crazy, crazy stuff that it's hard to even imagine that that was only, you know. Oh, yeah. It was only, like, like what, 50, 60, 70 yeah, years ago. Yeah. Not, not even not a long. century. Yeah. yeah. Not mm. long at all. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Oklahoma has a pretty interesting history. Mm-hmm. Um, we have... Now, I... Okay. So, I love the historical stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the stuff that, like, is kind of open-ended. Mm-hmm. Like, you don't know what happened. Yes. Um that stems from my hometown 
in my hometown of Ada, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. we had our very first story there ever began before it was even a state. Oh, wow. Like, it's insane. And then two years after it was a state, um, we had a vigilante-style hanging wow. in Ada. And you can still find they actually put photos, legitimate photos of the hanging on postcards. Wow. With Ada's... Yeah. name on there and it, it's like <laughs> this is what happens to criminals in ada yes <laughs> kind well, of a be, thing yes because yeah. it was this gang basically mm-hmm. there was a gang down there and they they um killed some people and they killed some good guys and before they could even be tried they were in the jail they had got them and put them in jail before they could even be tried literally the town of ada it, it's always been said there was like a hundred people that just showed up and pulled these guys out and wow. took them down to this barn and hung them. That is insane. And there are photos of the hanging, but no one has ever said a word about it. Like you would never know who was actually there. Yeah. I could literally have relatives, mm-hmm. like ancestors, whatever, mm-hmm. that were there and a part of that. Yeah. But like Ada is so secretive. That, yeah. It's, I can it's completely insane. imagine that. Yeah. I have a less nefarious connection to a story where they won't tell who was involved with it, but it's um, in Moore at the old high school, which is now like, it's got a cafe in it and it's got a, an event center you can rent out and it's a really pretty building, um, old Moore High School. Uh, my uncle was connected to this story. So back in like 19, way, way, way long time ago when he would have been a teenager, um, on Halloween night, a few of the kids broke into the building and decided it would be really funny if they led a cow upstairs to the principal's office. Oh. Now, the thing about cows is they won't walk downstairs. Yeah. How you t- are you going to get it down there? Oh. Right. So that cow just stayed in the principal's office and did what cows do all night long oh no and so the next day oh my gosh they were so mad they were so mad oh my gosh and um they that's actually in one of jeff provine's books oh my god that story and when i read it i like messaged him and i was like this was my uncle like he was part of that and um so because it's this family story that's like gone down in history like as this legend kind of thing you're like jeff who told you this yeah exactly like yeah and and it was and even in his book i think it talks about how they're not sure like exactly who like one guy told him and he does have that guy's name but I don't think they have any of the names of the people that like mm-hmm. let the cow in. And so from that, from then on, on Halloween night, there would be a janitor posted outside with a shotgun. Oh my God. <laughs> just to make sure nobody was bringing any farm animals oh my into the gosh. building on Halloween night. So that's funny. Yeah. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm telling you, Oklahoma is mm. crazy, man. And you basically, so it's Erie Oki. Mm-hmm. Uh, you basically stick to Oklahoma stuff. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but your writing is, you do f- uh, fiction yes. writing. Mm-hmm. So you kind of, I know you have a new one coming out that's like set in what island? South America. South America. It's set in like uh, Ecuador, Peru. Okay, there you go. Area. Um, it's actually, so it's called I Remember Everything. And it's about a woman who goes on vacation with her husband and two friends of theirs, and mm-hmm. they go on a luxury cruise down the Amazon River, which which terrifies me 
Anyway. Oh, the Amazon River is just, I watched, I watched several things about the Amazon River and all the, the wonderful things that live in it. Yeah. And um, there are like 10 different things, more than 10 different things in the Amazon River that can kill you. Yeah, just by like touching you. Yeah. It just like yeah. it slithers just, by you and yeah. you die. Yeah, I mean, you've got like black caiman, anaconda, piranhas, Whoa. I mean, all these other, like that little parasite fish that... Nope. Well, that's what it's yeah. called. Nope. Yeah, that's a nope. Yeah, I mean, there, and there's so much other stuff too. Like, there's there's this other fish that looks like a vampire or something. Like, what? it's got like vampire teeth. And oh, I know what you're talking about. I, I can't think, remember what it's called. Yeah, but I I can see it in my mm-hmm. mind. I think that lives in the river down there. But anyway, so they're on this riverboat cruise, and one night she comes to on the deck of the boat, soaked in water, her head pounding. And she finds out that she has gone, she fell off the second story of the riverboat, hit her head on the boat on the way down, and was rescued from the water. Oh my gosh. And she can't remember anything Uh before that. Like, she remembers, she knows who her husband is, she knows that they're on vacation, she has those memories. Yeah. But she can't remember anything about anyone, the people that came with them. Mm-hmm. Like, she doesn't remember their relationships with oh, them. Oh, wow. So, um, and the, it's a very fuzzy for her what happened right before. But in that first chapter, immediately, she has one little sliver of memory come to her. And that's that she can feel two palms on her back right mm-hmm. before she goes over into the river. Yeah. And so the whole book is basically her trying who to figure out. Who tried to kill me, man? Who tried to kill me? <laughs> yeah. Who can I trust? What do I really know about these people? Oh, is my memory no. lying to me? Yeah. Like, um, and all that, like, culminates when they go on a trip into the jungle and do ayahuasca at a retreat and all of that. No, like, again, yeah, again, yeah. the jungle. No, thanks. Yeah. The jungle's scary. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, the, so that's what I'm getting ready to publish. Um, yeah. So. That sounds so, all your stuff sounds so good. I've had, Thank like. Thank you. <sighs> I'm, like, catching up with all my reading right mm. now. Like, I'm just now, I had um, J.L. Hyde on. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. It's been months now. And I was like, I'm I'm getting all your books read, I promise. Mm-hmm. And I just now finished the second to last one, and I've got another one to start. Mm-hmm. And then she's literally, literally about to drop another one. I'm like, can you slow down? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's funny. <laughs> I have so much that I need to read. Yeah. And then, of course, I have all of these, you know, other authors on, and I really like to read some of their stuff or, you know, the specific book they're promoting or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, it, like, it almost feels like sometimes reading turns into a job. Yeah. I and get that. And I'm like reading things that it's not like I wouldn't read them, but it's like, you know, Feeling you want like the you freedom of choice. To. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So I'm just now it. done with all of that and I can start actually like getting back to reading. So I'm actually going to read for Rosie. Okay. Next, which is really intriguing to me because mm-hmm. it's like serial killer ish. Yes. It's kind of, it's a little slightly not totally based on like the Oklahoma city butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, not the same type of killings or anything like that, but just set in Oklahoma City and this idea of that book is more, it's less about the procedure of how a serial killer is caught and more about the emotions of someone who loved one of the victims. Right. So it's a lot more like in her head. It kind seems of, like more of an advocacy type yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. There is, there's even um, a... Like I have, I have such a complicated relationship with true crime. I love it. Mm-hmm. I consume it all the time. 
um, I put it out. Mm -hmm. Like I, I produce it, but I have such a complicated emotion around it because and I'm sure you Mm -hmm. feel the exact same. And there's a part in that book where she says that she heard a podcast about what happened to Rosie and one of the hosts made a joke Mm -hmm. and she talks about how that affected her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and like, obviously you don't, you don't do that. Like mm-hmm. I, nothing like that, but there are podcasts out there that take it very oh, yeah. into a comedic yes, they kind do. of yeah. direction. That's not, that's kind of crossing a line. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't um, say it, it is crossing it's a line. It's absolutely crossing <laughs> yeah. a line. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so I kind of, I wanted to explore that, like what it would be like if someone you loved had been killed in this very public way mm-hmm. and kind of their whole existence reduced to the fact that they were a victim of this person. And, and then someone is shame, basically shaming yes, them, victim yeah, shaming or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Making a joke of it. Yes, um, absolutely. And so that whole book is like her trying to come to terms with what happened in their relationship that led up to this night that she went missing and her being found beside the Oklahoma mm. River in downtown Oklahoma City. And she's also, at the same time, um, the killings start happening again. Like, after Rosie died, it kind of stopped for a while. Mm -hmm. And then it's picked back up Mm -hmm. recently. And so she kind of takes it upon herself to, like, figure Figure this out. out. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Like you do when you're in a thriller and you you want to make a bad choice. Like, yeah, you got to do it. It's a thriller. (laughs) So, yeah, so she kind of inserts herself into situations that are not good and <laughs> it kind of goes from there so I, I find that so interesting your most of your books are I wouldn't say they're fast-paced I would say they're at least medium-paced mm-hmm. too fast-paced mm-hmm. um but I, I can't like I can't make myself write that way yeah I would love to be able to write like you do I oh can't. my gosh thank you that I can't. is I um I'm is... too over dramatic <laughs> with my writing everything no. has to be Big and slow and mm-hmm. beautiful and mm-hmm. I think something some, I'm just like shut up you and get on with it. <laughs> I think something that I um I always feel like I am lacking in the like description department in favor of making the pacing faster. And I so I struggle with that. Like I'm always like, is this fast paced enough? And I try to think about it. Um, I took a class, a master class from Andrew Gross years oh, ago nice. at Thriller Fest in New York City. Oh, that's awesome. And um he one of the things that he taught us was something he had learned from James Patterson. And James Patterson writes extremely short chapters. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And at the end of every chapter, there is a reason to go on to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And that's, um, I really leaned into that with Swingers, which Mm -hmm. was my first, like, um, psychological thriller. It was really a great hit. Like, it did really, really well. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I tried to make sure of in that was every single chapter, there was a compelling reason to go on to the next chapter. Mm -hmm. And I think that... um, and when I wrote my first uh, first thriller that I pitched at Thriller Fest, that was one of the things that people said was that the pacing was really good mm-hmm. and it was, you know, a page turner. And so I always strive for that. I think For Rosie is a little bit less like that because it's so focused on her internal struggle mm. to come to terms with like what's going on and stuff's going on in her life too with her brother. Her brother's kind of got some issues and he's living with them mm-hmm. and he doesn't really understand boundaries at all. And mm. so, you know, they've got that going on. She's got her husband who's been really great about this and it's just a, 
it's I think for Rosie is a lot darker too than oh, Swingers. Yeah? yeah, I think it's a lot darker. I like dark. So yeah, I do too. I I'm love, like super into dark. I I'm love a, dark. I'm stuff. an avid Stephen King reader. Mm-hmm. So like I don't think there is a too dark. Right. For same. Me. Same. <laughs> same. Yeah. I like I will literally read anything. I'm like, I have no triggers. Just like give it to me. Yeah. Like <laughs> I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. Like I mean, and you know, I think that's what makes a good number one, a good thriller writer. Um you know, and then it also makes a good podcaster in a way, especially if you're like true crime podcaster or, or horror or supernatural stuff like that, because you can tell the story mm-hmm. without getting tripped up. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not saying that like stuff doesn't affect us, but it doesn't like shut us down. Exactly. Yeah. You kind of learn, especially I think with it's com- compartmentalization, it is very, very much compartmentalization. <laughs> yeah. Like it is. Um, I'll deal with that later. Yeah, exactly. And it's very, it's also when you look at it through the lens of like podcasting or like writing about it, there is kind of this um, like barrier between you and it. Mm -hmm. Like there's kind of this layer of protection that it, it feels more distant Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Like, um, and I also think that I am probably very desensitized because of what I read and because of what I watch. And it's probably like, I, I realized that the other night at like family dinner, because I brought something up that seemed completely normal to me and everybody at the table was just like horrified. You would so fit in here. Okay. Okay. You'll have to come to dinner with us. Yes, I would love to. Man, I've been desensitized since I was five, six years old. Yeah. My family is a first responder family. Oh yeah. So I've got paramedics mm-hmm. like all over. The, most most paramedics is mm-hmm. what they are. My mom and dad was paramedic. Sitting around the dinner table, I mean, they're talking about horrific car accidents mm-hmm. and like all this stuff, and totally normal. I used to be um, a funeral director. Oh what? Yes, uh, our funeral director's apprentice. That's I was learning to do that. Super interesting. <laughs> so so I was a last responder basically. Oh, wow. So like I get it. Like we would see that stuff. Is so that, cool. Oh I mean, my gosh. It's not. It. it yeah. I, mean, you, you I completely it. get it. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's um, not, but it is. <laughs> so I. I mean, the things that you see in that job, like you know, you. Uh, you see the aftermath. Oh yeah. Of the things that. That the, my the, husband, who is a paramedic right. also, that he responds to. Exactly. Yeah. And mm. so you get to see, I mean, just some of the most, like, tragic situations mm. and accidents that are horrific yeah. and um, just lots of death every single day, yeah. multiple times a day. Yeah. And, you know, and I think what I struggle with, at least, um, with my my true crime writing mm-hmm. and my true crime podcasting is finding the balance between detail and um, maybe t- being too graphic mm-hmm. because I do feel like, especially in true crime, especially if it is something that's not solved, I feel like every detail matters. Mm-hmm. Like someone out there could hear this mm-hmm. and something could click somewhere and that could be a lead. Yes. And so I'm always like digging into it. We order our own autopsy reports and we go through all of that and we're like looking at every detail. I'm like, how much of this do I need to share with the audience? Right. Because it could be, be considered you know quote sensationalizing it Mm -hmm. and I'm just like no I feel like it's really important for them to know these little tiny details Mm -hmm. because it 
like this is unsolved. This right. could be some sort of key to something. Exactly. You know, and it's like, where do you find the the line, the balance between, oh, I'm just telling them the autopsy report to be gory or to be like, and I, I feel like I don't do it for that reason but i i can see how people could think that i get that completely yeah so Mm. it's like a fine line between what you can tell and what you can't tell and it's kind of the same way with writers too because you know you have totally different types of Mm -hmm. um crime fiction writing you've got those comfy cozy murder mysteries what they call them Mm -hmm. where it's like um yeah I, I immediately think of like Aurora Tea Garden. Right. Like you never see anything. You never more see a than dead a body. A little bit of blood. Yeah. Like maybe. 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 And they never really tell you how they died. Mm-hmm. They never really tell you. Like it's There's just, no cussing. No. There's no, no cussing. Yeah. There's like, to me, that's just not real life. Yeah. It's like, yeah. I understand that there's a huge audience for it. Oh, yeah, Don't get me yeah. wrong. But like, and, and sometimes I'm like, all right, I'll, I'll watch Aurora for a while. And then I'm like, literally cussing at the screen. Cause I'm like, it was that freaking guy right there. Yeah. And you need to go like, get him down there and interrogate that yeah. guy and give me the autopsy report. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but they're like, well, he he died in that house over there mm-hmm. and, and there's a killer why is there a killer on the loose mm-hmm. you didn't tell me is he was he stabbed in the face like what are we what are we doing here is it a serial yeah. killer like it's just it's crazy to me yeah and so like there are some people out there that have found a really good balance in in keeping the gore out of there and not being too comfy cozy mm-hmm. jail Hyde is one that does that but man, I like the dark stuff. <laughs> I do too. I do too. I wrote this. I wrote this supernatural story for an anthology that um, was put out a few years ago, and my story was called "The Body Snatchers," and it was set in a funeral home, and it was like I'm already creeped out. Oh my god, it was so gory. Like it was the goriest thing I've ever written, and I didn't even make it gory to be gory like there was an element to the story that like the gore was important mm-hmm. and um i just remember when like the reviews of that story people were like this story is great i will never read it again <laughs> like i never want i never want to read this again okay i kind of want to read it yeah now. yeah it's uh it's in the book that i'm in the reunion oh, cool. it's one of the stories in that book and i'm actually gonna um put it out by itself at some point. Oh, so cool. I will let you know. Yeah. It's just a real short, like I think it's like 19,000 words or something. Um, but it was <laughs> really fun real to short. write. It's only 19,000 words. <laughs> My <laughs> real short is like maybe 5,000. Okay. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, it's four um, chapters. That's yeah. my real short. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this one was, I guess this is more of a novella, I guess. Um, well, I'm into that. Yeah. Yeah. It was super fun to write. It was very like Halloween-ish and like, um. Oh, you hear that? Spooky people? Yes. Yeah. Spooky season's coming up. Yeah. It was, it was so much fun to write. That was a, that was a cool one to work on. That's very interesting. Yeah. I always find like, I don't know. Like I'm okay. So I'm one of those weird people. And with you having been a a funeral director's assistant, you're probably the same way, but there's like two type of people in the world. Those who hate hospitals, they don't want to be there. They don't like anything about them. Mm -hmm. And then there are people like me who literally that's like my haven, my safe place. Like I grew up in a hospital, my parents, um, back then it was like 24 hour shifts and I would literally stay with them in the hospital, you know, in their station house part and 
I would be coloring on like the body charts in the ER and stuff like that. And like the smells, the sights, the sounds, everything there is like super nostalgic to me. Mm-hmm. And it does not creep me out at all. Mm-hmm. It actually brings me comfort. I'm like, there are people here in this building that can help other people and I feel like there's people out there like that about like funeral homes it's like they Mm -hmm. don't want to be there oh yeah it's like and most people feel that way Mm -hmm. um I don't hate them I just find them eerie yeah they are they are I will I will say um one of my jobs when I worked at I worked at three different funeral homes and one of the funeral homes I worked at I closed a lot yeah so I was there alone Mm. and so I would I would um vacuum like uh the state rooms Mm -hmm. that had people in them i would and i would have to go into each state room and turn off the lights what and there was always a lamp right next to the casket that had to be turned off like manually you had to walk over to it and then like and then like the rooms dark and you scurry back out in the hallway no um i mean they did that on purpose yeah and it it's very um like you get used to it because i think one of the things that really stands out about working in funeral service is that um, the dead people are not the problem. <laughs> like it's never, it's never the dead people that are going to give you any trouble. Sorry. Um, it, and uh, it, I mean, that's just like no pun intended. That's dead on. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, it, it's yeah. It, I mean, I have so many crazy stories about like, Things that happened at the funeral home that have nothing to do with yeah. the dead person. Like, um, oh my gosh. But yeah, it is it is eerie. It is kind of a, um, and it has a smell. There is a mm-hmm. smell to a funeral home. And it's also one of the reasons that, like, I don't prefer getting flowers. Because mm-hmm. when I smell it, I, I associate it with death. Mm-hmm. And it's not that I am, like, creeped out by it. But it's, like, all I can think about yeah. when I smell, like, a bouquet of flowers yeah. is the funeral home like so I don't associate it with like oh thank you you did this nice (laughs) thing for me I associate it with like man that guy was a horrible boss you know that kind of thing I'm that weirdo who's like oh thanks you killed the flowers good job yeah yeah exactly it's like this is kind of grim (laughs) yeah I get that Yeah. yeah yeah the flower smell um and there's also like you become accustomed to like death has a very um distinct smell Mm -hmm. and you you become accustomed to like that smell Mm -hmm. and it gets in your clothes and like I always felt like I smelled like death like all the time and um and then decomp has a certain smell Mm -hmm. like it's it almost it's there's a sweetness to it Mm -hmm. like it's very it it's weird yeah so reminds me of um like barbecue sauce in yeah. a way yeah yeah it's like this sweet rotten smell yeah. like mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. I worked in a hospital for a long time I worked in the OR mm-hmm. actually and um yeah it's there are things that you you smell mm-hmm. in certain professions that no you'll, one else will ever know what that, no. that smells like and you'll like. never forget it burning flesh mm-hmm. I mean that there's definitely certain smells to certain things that like do not smell like anything else. Right. That, mm-hmm. like, if you were walking down the street... You'd be like, there is a dead body somewhere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd be like, hmm, somebody's flesh is burning somewhere on this block. Yep. Because mm-hmm. it's, like, so distinct. Yeah. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's absolutely correct. It's mm-hmm. so strange. And I think that it's so strange because 
when you have professions like that, or you know with people and you've gone and experienced their profession with them or something, ride along, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, it does give you kind of a little bit of perspective in, in riding. Oh, so yeah. So that's always yeah. a, a mm-hmm. plus. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's I, a little darker. It, oh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, and the humor in those mm-hmm. situations, like, it is dark. Like, it is just to cope, like, mm-hmm. with what you're seeing, because it's like, at the funeral home, you may walk in one morning, and there's a nine-year-old child that shot themselves in the head. Yeah. Like, laying on a table back there for you to dress. Yeah. And so, it's, you do kind of get to a point where you, like, have to compartmentalize that otherwise mm-hmm. you internalize it and you carry it and, you get and messed up and you get messed up which yeah. was the entire reason I left the profession mm-hmm. because I could not I could not distance myself enough mm-hmm. from those things to protect my mental health yeah um I actually <clears throat> I had a have a similar uh thing because I actually got my EMT and I worked in 911 for like two years um, and it wasn't like it was rule. So you did everything. You weren't just here in Tulsa. It's like if you're a dispatcher, you do just EMS or you do just fire or just police. We were everything. We did oh, wow. everything. And I mean, city, um, sheriffs, fire, like volunteer, like everything. And the last call that I had, I just like couldn't function knowing that something was happening right then and there. And I wasn't there in person to do something with about it. Um, the last 911 that I, I had that I was like, I'm done. This is it. I got a 911 call from a man who said there are two men outside with guns and they're yelling and shouting at each other. They're fighting each other. And, um, you could hear his children screaming mm-hmm. and they were like, you could hear, gunshots going off and he was like what do I do what do I do with my kids I'm like I just want to like be there and like you know shove everybody into the basement or like whatever and so I'm trying to tell him how to do that and the dispatcher behind me is taking calls from other people in the area I get him situated you know the kids are screaming I get him situated there's another person that calls in and they're like kind of standing in front of these two guys and they're literally in a standoff on this in this wow. front front yard and she says they're pointing the guns at each other and I hear boom boom they literally shot each other and killed each other wow right then I heard two people die I heard them and I was like I can't do this yeah I have to do something that's like I still want to help in some way and yeah. like utilize my skills but I can't mm-hmm. this is not it yeah, absolutely. I can't be the first responder. No, <laughs> the oh first first responder. No, 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 no. I mean, I completely get. So that. I got to like, do something after the fact. I can't even imagine the yeah. things that you would hear as a nine one one operator. You hear, hear everything. I, you know, it's surreal. It's crazy because to train you, they literally make you listen to nine one one calls of some big cases, at least in your county. I can remember my training call was a, was Caitlin Wooten, which is. Excuse me, which is a huge deal down in Ada. Um, she was a 16-year-old, excuse me, 16-year-old girl who was abducted by her mother's ex okay. and driven out into the middle of this field. And he was trying to get at the mom mm-hmm. and said, if you don't, you know, A, B, or C, I'm going to kill her. Well, he ended up killing her. He shot her in the head. Mm-hmm. But that was our training call wow. was from the mom calling 911. 
And they were based, I mean, it's like sink or swim. They're basically like, you can either deal with this or you can't. And the only difference is, is that you know that this call came in and you're listening to the call, but you're not working the call. So you think in your mind, oh, I can handle that. Right. But some, you know, you get into it and sometimes you freeze up. You don't know what to do. You don't know what to say. And yeah. It's, I never froze up, but I did see people around me freeze up and it was just like, I can't handle this. Mm -hmm. This is too much. Yeah. Like I can't, I can't be the one that's trying to get all the information from someone who just watched someone die or whatever, you know, like I just couldn't do it. Like I, I, I don't think I could do that either. Mm -mm. It's wild. Yeah. I, with a funeral service, there were certain situations where it was kind of like, kind of like that, not to the intense degree, but a situation where you know something is wrong mm-hmm. and there's nothing you can do. And there was one situation that I had a, a boss who, she told me about this. And when she was working for a different company that was, I believe it was an embalming uh, company, like, which is a thing, like they actually, mm-hmm. um, in six feet under there, there is an embalmer who has a very big issue with these companies and he calls them like human chicken McNugget oh, factories no. because he thinks it's so depersonalized and he thinks it's really bad. <sighs> and I feel similarly, I think yeah. the embalming should be done on site. Like I didn't, you know, I honestly, until right now did not know that sometimes it's not, sometimes it's not. Yes. If it's a big chain funeral home, it's probably not done there. Wow. Um, so like dignity or like a carriage funeral home. That's wild. Some of them, some of them do though. Everyone, every once in a while they do, because I actually have a friend who felt the same way I did that got the embalming moved back to the funeral home because he was so passionate about it. And he was like, we need to do it here. And which I agree with, I think there should be like, um, like the human that you're dealing with, should be involved in that so that you at least have that mm-hmm. comfort that I have spoken to this person. This person yeah. seems kind. And I'm taking care of your loved one. I am. Ta- you yeah. can trust me. Yeah. I am taking care of this. Yeah. So um, this one time, my old boss who was working for an embalming company and they were dropping off a little girl. And oh one of the things that happens in embalming sometimes is uh, – wounds or bruises that happen directly before death mm-hmm. show up when Later. the, Im- yeah. when you're embalmed right. because it's, I can't remember what the exact like chemical process is, but something about that makes those show up. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I guess it's because you died too soon for it to show up like yeah. on healthy tissue or something yeah. like that, but it shows up in the embalming. And she had a little girl that had a handprint on her face and she was dropping her off and all she could do was report it. Like that's all she could do. She couldn't, oh she couldn't physically keep the little girl from going to her family or anything yeah. like that. And she said she pulled up in the van and there was just a horde of people waiting for this little girl to arrive at the funeral home. Oh and God. she said it was so hard because she said, I know whoever put that handprint on her it's is there. in that crowd. Yeah. And she's like, and now I have to let her go back to them. Oh my gosh. And you know, so things like that happen and, um, we had one where a guy that I worked with was sure, like sure that there had been foul play. Oh no. And like all he could, and I sat in on the arrangements for that and I'm not saying he was wrong. Oh my. Like it was very, it was a situation where it was very like suspicious. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was like, you know, a story that you've heard a thousand times from like an abuser when yeah. it turns out to be like. It's like, oh, they tripped and fell and, like, died and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah. And um, the deceased had bruises all over their body. 
And um, it was just a situation where it warranted a little bit of looking into, I think. Yeah. And, like, all the guy I worked with could do was, like, report it to the ME. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like, what's the ME going to do? Like, they're already swamped. Yeah. And this person. They've has, already written their report. They've they're already are, done. Exactly. Like, yeah. and there's no other reason. The family doesn't have a reason. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, there's really nothing you can do. And, I mean. I th- I think from that experience that people get away with murder so often. Oh, I wouldn't like, doubt it. Yeah, I think, I mean, and I'm sure you see that too as like mm-hmm. a first responder, like people who it's like clear to you. Well, actually there's like, so the thing that happens the most with that is um, domestic violence. Yeah. Domestic violence and like string, even up to like strangulation and mm-hmm. domestic violence mm-hmm. and, um, child abuse oh, stuff yeah. like that yeah. because <laughs> people just don't it's not that they I feel like it's not that they don't want to help but it it's because they know that the system won't help yeah you know and it's mm-hmm. like well okay we can make a report but what what good is that gonna do like right. you're just gonna have DHS come out mm-hmm. and and they're not gonna like have enough mm-hmm. to to send to police. Right. Like it's people think that if DHS comes out, your kids are just going to be taken away. Mm -hmm. That is not the case. They have to make several, 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 several visits Mm -hmm. and compile so much information and then they can report it Mm -hmm. and, you know, go from there. But it's not like a instant sort of thing. Yeah. And so like, and with domestic violence and stuff like that, strangulation, man, we just, I actually put this um, in my newest the true crime book that we have coming out. I literally have a whole section about strangulation because people just don't understand how strangulation actually works. Mm -hmm. Um, I have spoken to for, for this purpose, I've spoken to several strangulation experts. I have gone to classes for it myself to teach myself to learn. And uh, people think that like, you're going to know if somebody was strangled and the, the, the actual facts are that you probably won't because only 50% show any symptoms of having been strangled. Mm -hmm. And if their abuser is standing right next to them, they're probably not going to say he strangled me because he's standing there staring at them in the face. Oh yeah. You know, and you know that in a minute the cops are going to leave and you're going to be there with that person. Well, and more than likely, even if you say he strangled me, the cops are probably still going to leave mm-hmm. because of the fact that strangulation usually doesn't show symptoms. Mm-hmm. And so, like, now we're just now getting to a point in medicine where um, strangulation and stuff like that is starting to go to sane nurses, um, you know, nurses that do um, sexual assault exams uh, and rape exams because they are starting to learn how to do forensic photography, um, how to look at MRIs and stuff like that. But still like that stuff, you have to go in and you have to strip down and be subjected to all this. And women just don't want to have to go through that. It's a, it's a second trauma on top of the trauma you've just experienced. And it's not just that. It's like you, you have to explain what happened to the cop. Then you have to explain what happened to the paramedic. Then you have to explain what happened to the, 
check-in nurse. Then you have to explain what happened to the same nurse. Then you have to explain what happened to a lawyer or a secondary mm-hmm. detective. And then you have to go to trial and explain in front of a bunch of strangers. And it's like, it feels like it's never ending. Yeah. Um, but we are making those advances so that now um, there are some places that will photo- uh, photograph you and take all that information without even taking your statement. Just That's in case awesome. they will keep it on file. I think she said five years. They'll mm-hmm. keep it on file just in case you decide later you want to come back mm-hmm. and say, he strangled me and now I'm ready to talk about it like mm-hmm. two or three years later. And they go, okay, well, we show it right here. It's it's a fact that he strangled you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, it's just, it's so wild. That is crazy. Yeah. That is absolutely yeah. crazy. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah. That like blew my mind. I know. I mean, and there's like so many things about that. Like, did you know that you can have a stroke or a heart attack from being strangled? No. Even if you're like, if you're strangled and you, you don't die from it. Um, let's say you do stop breathing, but then you come back, <gasps> you know, mm-hmm. you can still have a stroke like a week later. Jesus. You oh can have God. a heart attack in two days. Wow. You can have all sorts of deficits Mm -hmm. from it. Neurological, Mm -hmm. physical, stuff like that. People just don't Mm -hmm. realize it. Yeah. And is strangulation, is that, um, what exactly constitutes the act of strangulation? Like, is it, is it your blood being cut off to your brain? So, yes. Well, the oxygen in your blood is cut off from your brain. Okay. Okay. So, anytime, like, they talk about manual strangulation, that's when somebody does it with their hands. Um, Ligature strangulation, when somebody does it with something, like a belt or a cord or or a rope or something Mm -hmm. like that. And then um, hanging is actually a part of strangulation as well. So, of course, you know what hanging is. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah, it's... When you constrict, you have um, your trachea, you have your all of these arteries and stuff in your necks, uh, in your neck, one on each side, and then the big uh, jugular trachea in the front. But people also think that that takes strength, and it doesn't. Um, it takes eleven pounds of pressure, I believe, is what it was. Eleven pounds of pressure to completely constrict that. And that's um, not a lot. No, and comparative to that, in comparison, it takes two pounds of pressure to click open the top of a um, can of pop. Wow. It takes 10 to 15 to crush it, an empty can, with your hand. That's not a lot. So take both of those, crushing, you know, and, and you've got strangulation. You don't have to be. Mm-mm any sort of like physical whatever to yeah. mm-hmm. like that's how you see like some child murderers mm-hmm. you know where um like a five-year-old has strangled a baby yeah and yeah. they go it's asphyxiation we don't know what happened that makes sense. because back then you know a lot of people thought a five-year-old doesn't yeah, have the yeah. strength mm-hmm. but yeah they do mm-hmm. it doesn't take much especially wow. in a baby it takes less pressure in a baby oh so. yeah yeah it's pretty wild wow yeah that and, is. and you know it, that right there it's like the research rabbit holes you go down oh yeah for books and, yes. and true crime episodes mm-hmm. and just being able to like investigate things yourself yeah oh yeah and then and then that's the kind of thing that you bring up at dinner and then yeah, everybody exactly. is just like 
horrified. People are trying to eat, and you're like, hey, did you know it only takes 11 pounds of pressure? (laughs) Exactly. You're like, this is this fascinating new fact I learned, and I want to share it with everybody. (laughs) And people are like, are you okay? Yeah, yeah. You need to take your dinner and go. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And I think I that's another, um, like, from funeral directing, I can eat and watch or listen to anything. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it's nothing, nothing will, like, keep me from eating. Yep. It would have to, I think it would be have to be really extreme for me to, like, not, or be some kind of weird connection that a thing makes in my brain for me to not eat. It's, for me, it's not um, visual. Mm-hmm. It smells. Yes. So the the mm-hmm. smells like we were talking about. Mm-hmm. If I were to smell something like that, I'm done. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm yeah. done. The smell. The smell <laughs> would affect me. Yeah. But yeah. other than that, you could talk about whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You could show me whatever you want. Mm-hmm. I'll just tell like me whatever eating. you want. Yeah. Like I'm fine. <laughs> like yeah. Look oh at that gosh. brain matter. That's crazy. Yeah. Take a bite, a big bite of like hamburger helper. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> Just fine. Yeah, it's totally normal around here. Yeah. Oh my gosh, I get that completely. Yeah, you'd fit in really great around here. I I completely get that. Like that is. Oh my gosh. Like, I would I would come home from the funeral home and I'd be like, you won't believe what happened today, and be like eating my dinner and telling my mom about what I'd seen, and she would just be like horrified. Yeah, she's like, are you sure you want to keep doing this? Like, it goes. It's. I don't know. It goes with the mm-hmm. job title, I guess. Yeah. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, you're into horror, you're into crime fiction, you're into mm-hmm. thrillers, true crime, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. You kind of have to get the, the, get that shell. Yeah. Yeah. You. Oh, yeah. I um, One of the things that I've been researching lately for a project I'm doing on Patreon is um, man-eating tigers. And so, yeah, so, yeah, so I have a lot of knowledge about that very obscure kind of topic. Like, um, like, did you know that man eaters are not born? They are created. I, you know what? That checks out. Yeah. And they, if I guessed, that's what I would guess. And they are usually, I mean, not always like, cause it can happen in a variety of ways, but like if a tiger was shot by a poacher and that bullet like took out one of its teeth and didn't kill it that tiger would likely turn to man-eating because they now have less of an ability to catch faster prey. Mm-hmm. And so and in, in India, like, there is actually, they will wear masks on the back of their heads because tigers will think they're looking at them if they're Whoa. working in the forest. That's so terrifying. Yes, tigers, tigers will absolutely, like, turn to man-eating. And lions, too. Like, there were the man-eaters of Savo that um, I believe they killed... Oh, I, th- I want to say it was over a hundred people Holy um, crap. that were working on the railroad there. And it became this huge thing where like the Brit- the Irish foreman ended up having to kill the, the lions, like to make sure that the railroad kept getting built because finally the guys were like, no, There's like one guy left. Yeah. And he's like, like, I'm not doing this. Yeah. <laughs> Too many people have been eaten. Like we are not working. And that's insane. Um, and there was a tiger in Nepal. There are many, many tigers in Nepal that, um, stories like this, but, uh, it killed over, I think, 437 people. Holy cow. Ate them. Yes. Yes. That was its primary, like, and it moved around between Nepal and India. Um, that was, I think they call it the Devil of Champawat. I think that's how you say that. That's scary. Name, yeah. Um, there was that one. There was, uh, there's also this story of a tiger 
that got revenge. This is insane. This is absolutely <laughs> mind-blowing, okay? So this was in Russia, I believe. And this guy had gone out, and I don't remember if he had shot at the tiger and wounded it or if he had stolen its prey or, like, what exactly triggered this. But something happened out in the forest with the man and the tiger, and the man went home to his cabin. The tiger survived whatever this was that happened. I can't remember what it was. But um, the tiger then came to the cabin, followed the man to the cabin, and waited, I think, over 24 hours for the man to come out. Well, what did the guy do to him? I can't remember exactly what what ha- what happened, but the tiger essentially waited for him to come out, and he killed him. Oh, my God. Yes, waited a day. Oh, my God. Like, that long in that tiger's mind, it knew that man was in there, and whatever well, he had done. That's yeah. what, See, that's what I'm saying, though. It's like, I think that we highly underestimate animals oh, and yes. nature yeah like seriously oh yes i i completely that's agree insane. it is insane yeah that story blew my mind when i heard that i um i actually have a book about it um that i need to read but manning animals absolutely fascinate <laughs> me because it's kind of like and it also fascinates me that like ten thousand years ago we were not in the position we are in the food chain uh-huh. at all like that was those were the days of like saber tooth tigers. We were totally cats. getting eaten left yes, and right. Left and right. <laughs> left and right. I mean, it is mind boggling to think about these animals, these megafauna. How are we even still alive? Right? How did we make it? Right. Right. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah. It's I mean it's and it's crazy also to think about all the other kinds of um hominids that have oh, existed. Yeah. And, like, that blows my mind, too. That's a whole rabbit hole I've gone down recently. Oh, I've gone down that rabbit Mm -hmm. hole before, where it's, like, the the ones that we are, we are because we killed all the others. And, like, all this, yeah, it's, like. It's crazy. That is a rabbit hole. Yes, it absolutely (laughs) is. There's a really good book called, um, I think it's called A Brief History of Everyone Who Ever Lived. Oh. And it's about, it's human history, like, basically hominid history. Yeah. Like, where it started and what it has become. And, like, it's. It is fascinating. Wow. Like, it is such a good book. And the guy who wrote it, he's funny. Like, it's <laughs> it's very entertaining. So, I I really enjoyed that one. Yeah. That's wild. That's a recent rabbit hole I've gone down as, like, the, <laughs> the, the megafauna and the man-eating animals. And I've always been fascinated with man-eating animals for some reason. Because I think it's, like, crazy to think about that, like, we're at a point now where we have these animals that could absolutely just like kill us in the blink of an eye in zoos. And we have like taken over the world so much that like, that's not a threat in daily life Mm -hmm. in most places. Yeah. That's not wild. Yeah. Like I could walk outside your house right now and never worry (laughs) about, about a big cat, like eating me like that, that, I mean, it could happen. It could, but it's highly unlikely. Like I, it's just mind blowing. Like, yeah. <laughs> let's let's check that off my list of things not to worry about yeah. today. Yeah. I, I worry about not, so much, but I won't worry about that. I won't be worried about getting eaten by a tiger today. Yeah. No big cat. No but big then, cat. Threat. Oh my god, but then could you imagine though, like one escapes from the oh, zoo. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. and that's the one thing that you're like, I'm not worried about this today. Yeah. And then you get eaten by yeah. a tiger from the zoo. So apparently <laughs> I read this recently. I don't know how factual this is. Um it was in an article that I found on the internet. So like take that for what it's worth. <laughs> but I found it multiple places. So hopefully it's true because it's a very fascinating thing. Um 
most big cats that are kept in zoos, like a zoo has a kill on site list for animals that if they escape, it's kill on site. (gasps) That Um, makes me really sad. And it's because they're so dangerous that it's like not worth trying to like get them back in. So apparently. And then here we are in Oklahoma with people like Joe Exotic. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Such a great representation (laughs) of the state. Oh, I get it. I completely get it. Like, um, oh my gosh. Yeah. That guy. Uh, so they have that kill on site list and lions are not on it. Tigers are not on it, but leopards are. I can understand leopards. They're sneaky little bastards. <laughs> They're sneaky, and apparently immediately after they escape, they will claim a territory as their own and, like, kill anyone that oh my God. comes into it. Like, they will look at them as prey. So, like, they will... You know, yeah. that makes sense, though, because a lot of zoos opt to not have them mm-hmm. in the zoo. And yeah. I've often wondered why that is. I wonder if that's true. I, I wonder if that's that. the... It's probably that, yeah. Which makes sense because back in, like, the 50s, the Oklahoma City Zoo did have a leopard, and he escaped. Oh it, his God. name was Leapy, which, what? like, that tells you right there, red flag number one, <laughs> yeah. it's named Leapy, okay? It's coming for you. <laughs> oh like, God. Leapy the leopard escaped, and they killed him when they found him. So I kind of wonder... <sighs> If, yeah, I, I, that was I my reaction. I feel like reaction. that's our, our fault, That was though. absolutely our fault, yeah. Like, yeah. why do we do this? Just yeah. leave them where they are in yeah. the wild. Leave them alone. Find a way to do the conservation it, well, there. Well, I like, could understand back in the day, mm-hmm. right? Because TV, the internet, mm-hmm. stuff like that didn't exist when we started, mm-hmm. you know, building these zoos and stuff. Now it does. I know what a tiger looks like. My son, who is two years old, knows what a tiger looks like. Mm-hmm. He can literally say the word tiger. Mm-hmm. And he's never seen one in real life. He knows what it looks like. Right. He can learn everything he needs to know about it mm-hmm. on the internet. Mm-hmm. So why do we need to have them in little tiny spaces for their entire lifetime? It's just. I don't know. The only. It's wild. The only argument for Especially it, if you're just going to kill them. Yeah. You know, if they get out. So. I will say that um, there is nothing though like seeing one in person. And I can see how that could inspire mm-hmm. a and a passion for being a conservationist. Yeah. Um, which I think is the main argument for zoos is like, they, they do a lot for conservation. Like, um, I almost feel like I'm almost at a point where I'm like, if you really want to see one, mm-hmm. you really, really want to see one. Mm-hmm. You need to go where they live, where they are. Yeah, exactly. Take your chances, yeah. man. There's a, there's a park <laughs> in India that you can go to and like stay at, where you literally, there's a place in the park where you sit and tigers cross the road. That's wild. Yeah. So, like, it's possible. Like, yeah. you could absolutely go there. And if you if you desperately, like, could not sleep, could mm-hmm. not eat unless you saw a tiger, yeah. like, you could make you that could make happen. happen. Yeah. yeah. You could go to <laughs> India. You could go to the Jim Corbett National Park, which, by the way, Jim Corbett is the one that killed the devil of Champawat. Oh, my gosh. So, he has a park named after him. Wow. Um, in India, and you can go there and see tigers because he actually, at the end of his life, became a huge conservationist. Oh, like, yeah. Because um, there for a while, there was a whole thing going on with, like, the Indian government or the Indian monarchy or whatever it was, like, killing the tigers, getting rid of them because they were seen as a nuisance. Oh. So there were a lot of people coming in and hunting tigers and stuff yeah. until they realized, oh, wow, we've hunted a lot of them. Like, almost all almost of them. Almost all of them. Maybe <laughs> this was a mistake. Yeah. And I think that kind of um, time period when Jim Corbett was, like, getting older was kind of when some of that conservation mindset started to come into play. Like, mm-hmm. hey, maybe we don't want to kill all these exotic animals yeah. that 
populate the earth like maybe oh wow probably around before we were yeah exactly yeah and oh oh no that's a keystone species Mm -hmm. oh no maybe we shouldn't do that yeah like um so that that's kind of a whole thing that's just wild yeah the things we do for research oh yeah yeah so that was for man eater yes that one's not out yet yeah it's on patreon like i'm releasing it one chapter at a time and it's been really fun to work oh interesting so it's um it's just it's kind of an as I go project, so I'm hoping that I would it'll, not be able to do that. It's I'd hard. Like, I want to go back and in, in my like I'll release the second chapter, and I'm like, okay, I really want to change what happened mm. in the first chapter. Yeah, now. it is very. Um, I am gonna edit it completely once it's done. It's Put kind it of it's kind of more of a like here is what my unpolished like draft yeah. looks like like That's w- in real time. Like that's cool. So yeah. yeah. So I'm kind of I'm enjoying it. It's definitely different and it is a challenge. Yeah. So I'm uh so I'm working on that right now. <laughs> who do you have? Who edits for you? Uh Colette Carmen, who is actually that is the pseudonym of a friend of mine, mm-hmm. uh Johnetta Rhodes, and she actually she is my editor and she is a very good developmental editor. Mm-hmm. Like so if you're worried that something has a plot hole, she will find it. Like she is <laughs> excellent at that developmental and then I have it proofread mm-hmm. like after that because I I I'm pretty good at grammar and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. I so I use pro writing aid for the grammar side of it. Mm-hmm. She Colette mainly does like make sure everything makes sense, make sure there's no inconsistencies. Like if I said um a character's eyes were blue and now all of a sudden they're green, she catches yeah. that, like yeah. those kind of things. Um or if she goes, she'll often tell me, I don't think this is exactly how that works. Like if it's a, <laughs> if it's a police thing yeah. or whatever, like she'll be like, I don't think that's how that works and I will fix it. And she did that for me in Swingers. I actually rewrote the whole first, like, um, I read it a lot of the detective stuff mm-hmm. in Swingers because of her, because I'm really bad about like, oh, I have this cool idea. I'm just going to write it however I want it. Yeah. And then because I, I feel like I'm so lucky to have her that I'm like, here, what's wrong with it? Tell me what's wrong with it and I'll fix it. And then we'll go from there. So she's, she is awesome. Like she is, I could not do it without her. Well, if you ever have any EMS procedural mm-hmm. questions. Absolutely. We're here. Yes. I will be sending it your way. I'll be like, please tell me what's wrong. Cause I just did this all based off of what I've seen on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I definitely will take you up on that. Yeah. Like, cause I'm sure that I'm going to have a book that has that at some point. Okay. I know about legal research. Okay. Cause sometimes, I don't know, you might want to write a character that's a lawyer. Yeah. Like, They're actually, I actually have a story, my first novel. So I wrote it back in like 2015, 2016 when there weren't a whole lot of laws about revenge porn. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about like rehashing it. So I actually might take you up on that, like figuring out where the legal Mm -hmm. side of that would be where like what could someone do if that happened to them so that would be awesome because like I know a lot of stuff in that novel is dated now Mm -hmm. because when I wrote it I said it in Tennessee because Tennessee was one of the few Mm. states that didn't have any laws about it yeah so I was like okay that's perfect because I didn't want the character to really have any legal recourse that she could go with at the time because I wanted her to take care of herself yeah so like so that's kind of I'm gonna rework it and make it into something that I feel like the states that are real conservative mm-hmm. are probably the states that don't have any yeah any yeah. laws against that. Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, More that's a good likely. good. That's a good. So Texas might actually be a pretty good. Yeah, there used to be a website on the dark web. I do not think it exists anymore. 
Um, the and I, web scares me. Oh, same, <laughs> same, like, I don't even same, wanna. same. I like, I, I watch a lot of stuff about it because it fascinates me, but it mm-hmm. also terrifies me. Like the more I learn about it, the more I'm like, geez, like no one is safe from no, anything. Like, no. yeah. So everything um, is there. Everything is out there. Anything everything. that you might want to do to ruin yeah. someone's life, you can purchase yeah. it there. Like, it's absolutely. Wild. It is crazy. Um, and there used to be this website and I think it was called something like pink meth or something like that. And it was a revenge porn website. Oh and, my God. but the thing that they would do on there is not only would they post the pictures and the videos, they would post the name, phone number and address. <gasps> what? Yes. So it was like next level kind oh of like gosh. harassment that these women would get that is like dark that could be deadly oh absolutely yeah i don't know if there was ever a case that resulted in a murder or anything like that but that would be interesting to look into because i know that like with the kind of people particular like men don't take offense to this but with the kind of men that i see using a website like that mm-hmm. i could absolutely see some like incel type yeah anger like Something very bad happening. Oh, I bet John Douglas would have a lot to say about <laughs> oh, yeah, that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's all that dark web stuff, man. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's scary. It's terrifying. Like, I remember, I actually, there was, I don't remember where I heard about this. I might have heard about it on Stephanie Sue's podcast, Rotten Mango. Mm-hmm. Um, there was, apparently, there are, like, dark websites where you can pay to have like child pornography put on anyone's computer that uh-huh. you want. Oh yeah. And I'm like that that's evil. Is evil yeah. and absolutely terrifying. Like mm-hmm. that is I mean wow. Just... I mean what's and what's wild is is that's almost worse than framing them for murder. Oh absolutely, yeah. Because yeah. you get labeled for the rest of your life. Oh, yeah. You might stay in prison for mm-hmm. a really, really long time. But if you get out, you will never get a job again. Oh, yeah. yeah. You will have to live in a certain community. Mm-hmm. Like, you will be labeled forever. It would absolutely ruin someone's life. Yeah. Like, you, yeah. There there are tears that you will never get off of that. Yeah. You know, sex registry. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it, yeah, that's mm-hmm. insane. It is insane. Like, <laughs> the dark web is terrifying. Yeah. Like, it is. And, like, these people who do these, like, order these mystery boxes from the dark web, I'm like, <laughs> Good luck I'm with like, that. what are you it doing? It could be a bomb. Exactly. I'm like, I would never, no. I would never, like, no. Please don't do that. <laughs> no. Anyone listening, never do that. That is so stupid. Don't do that. It could be a severed head. It could. It could know. be, it could be any manner of uncouth things. It could you, be a man-eating tiger. It could be. It could be. And I'm not going to feel sorry for you when it eats you <laughs> that's so funny uh, i wanted to talk to you um because we're <laughs> we're getting there we're already uh an hour in i wanted to talk to you about your writing process because okay. <sighs> i want to write so mm-hmm. bad mm-hmm. and then nothing ever comes to my brain mm-hmm. like i i never can get a premise for something mm-hmm. I can get characters in my head and what I want them to do but I can never like nail down plots and, and it's wild because with my very first two novels they're zombie novels mm-hmm. there was no rhyme or reason mm-hmm. you know it's like literally sit down and go 
Okay. Um, we came up with, my husband and I wrote those together. We basically came up with our zombie rules, mm-hmm. like what the zombies can and right, can't Right, right, yeah. And then he was like, I'll come up with a character, you come up with a character. They'll eventually meet, and we'll go from there. We mm-hmm. literally wrote by the seat of our pants. Okay. There was yeah. no... Like, yeah, arc, like we didn't know what we were doing yeah. with it. We just sat down and wrote. And that's okay. That's like pantsing it. Yeah. That's, that's totally fine. Like, um, I am kind of a. But that's not, you know, it's not crime fiction. It's not a thriller. Right, it's not, right. You know. Yeah. There are definitely, I think there are definitely genres that like lend themselves to outlining a lot more than others. Mm-hmm. Like, I think there are certain genres where it's easier to do it just by the seat of your pants. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a lot easier. But then when you get into like like high fantasy or like science hard sci-fi like yeah. that kind of stuff you definitely I think need For like sure. a series bible and an outline and oh, like yeah. all that stuff and I kind of um so my process kind of goes like I will get my premise ideas from anywhere and everywhere mm-hmm. like it it literally like there like there one came to me recently based on someone I know who um, did a certain thing, and I won't, like, go into it because I don't want to, like, say too much about the plot. Yeah. But because it's one that, it's the one I'm going to release in February. Okay. And um, something they did, I thought, wow, what if someone did that and then this happened? Oh, yeah. And, like, kind of, um, I also get a lot of my ideas from my own anxiety. (laughs) Like, of, like, what bad things could happen, especially in, like, crime fiction. Okay. I'm like, yeah. I haven't tried that before, yeah. and I'm anxious and riddled. Exactly. And it also, like, writing about it is kind of therapeutic. Like, when you go through the scenario of, like, okay, if this did happen, what would the main character do oh, to, like, yeah. get out of it? Yeah. And um, so for, like, swingers, okay, I got that idea because I heard a podcast about someone that was killed in a swingers community. And I thought, I wonder what would happen if, like, a guy turned up dead at a swingers party in a very conservative area. Mm. And, like, what would that look like? Like, who really killed him? Yeah. Like, that sort of thing. And that was kind of where I went with for swingers. Mm -hmm. And I usually, what I usually do is I do an outline. And I use Plotter for my outlines because they can export directly into Scrivener, which is, do you you know what Scrivener is? Mm -mm. Scrivener is the most awesome novel writing software available it's on mac it's on pc it's on ios it's on i don't think it's on android yet but it you can sync it across devices like if you have more than one computer you can sync it between the two um and and if you have like the mac devices you can sync it between your your laptop or your desktop and your laptop and your phone and your ipad and like work on it in various places is it similar at all to like readsy um I, it has been so long since I've looked at Readsy. I'm not entirely sure. Basically, Scrivener, um, it's like it's got the word processor, mm-hmm. and you've got the organization on the left where you can put chapter, scene, mm-hmm. chapter, scene. Um, and it might be a lot like Readsy now. Um, but, yeah, it's and you can compile it and export it as a Word document mm-hmm. and then, like, take your Word document and put it into Vellum. Oh, wow. So um, that, like, uh, Vellum is my absolute favorite software for formatting books. Like, mm-hmm. I think it is the most straightforward, easy, like, it's my favorite. I've never used it. I do all my own formatting. Okay. 
okay. which I hate. Yeah. <laughs> it, oh my God, Vellum's so easy, but it only runs on Mac. Mm. So it's like, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. Um, it is the whole reason that I got an Apple uh, computer mm. was because I was like, I am not parting to, yeah. with Vellum because I'm obsessed with it. And eventually I'm sure they'll like cave and make it for PC because there, but there is a software now called Atticus that I've heard that Atticus is good for PC. It is, it does all the same things Vellum does. It's a little write this stuff more, down here in a minute. <laughs> yeah. It's a little more customizable, I think, Atticus. Um, but it does everything Vellum does, but you can use it on PC and you oh, can nice. either download the app to your computer or you can use it on their web browser. Um, and you can also write your novel in Atticus. Like it's a word processor. Nice. Um, and you can plug in like Grammarly or Pro Writing Aid to Atticus mm-hmm. and use it within the app um, that's nice so, i use grammarly a lot yeah i use pro writing aid now and i yeah so i use it a lot like it is it's my best friend oh yeah so um so basically i get my idea and then i do an outline and then once i have the outline i put it in a scrivener and then i start writing and sometimes i follow the outline and sometimes i don't <laughs> like it's kind of a combination of the two because usually what will happen is a better idea will come to me while i'm writing so mm. i'll start editing the outline and like making adjustments for that. One of the things that was groundbreaking for me as a writer was when you get stuck in a plot and you don't know what happens next, just put in a note that says, usually you use the letters T K right together because it's easy to find. If you search for it in the word document, if you search TK, mm-hmm. there's only one instance of that going to come up in that whole document. Cause those letters are never together right. in other words. And if they are, it's like, very few and far between and just start writing the next thing that you know happens. So like if you're, if you've written your court, your character into a corner and you're like, I don't know how he's going to get out of this locked basement, Oh yeah, but eventually he does. Mm-hmm. So you say TK, he gets out of the basement and then just start writing <laughs> okay. like, you know, just write the yeah. next thing. So, um, that was really helpful for me. I used to write really early in the morning, like 5am. Mm-hmm. That was my golden time for creativity. Like, and I think it was because no one was awake. No one had text messaged me yet. No mm-hmm. one was calling me yet. There weren't a million things already. Wasn't chaos yes, ensuing. Happening in my brain yet. <laughs> and morning is still my ideal time to write. I love writing in the morning before much has happened to clutter my brain. I think that's why I like writing at night mm-hmm. after everybody goes to bed. Yep. 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 It's, uh, it, it, and that's how it works for a lot of people. It's either morning or night mm-hmm. and it's that same reason. Like everybody's asleep. Everybody's being quiet. I've taken <laughs> care of all my responsibilities. Yeah. Like it's quiet in the house. Now this is my time to like write. And I think it's, um, something that help ha- has helped me in the past is just, commit to write every day and if all you write is a sentence that is okay Mm -hmm. because that's how I wrote my first novel like I um and you were talking about like the premise and the chaos and stuff like that of like the story um I would recommend reading Story Genius by Lisa Crone it is excellent and it helped me write my first novel and it talks all about she talks about this concept of the third rail which is like the power that keeps your story moving forward like Mm -hmm. the third rail on a subway system that's where the electricity is Mm -hmm. and so you've got your characters you've got your setting you've got your plot but the third rail is like this extra kind of that keeps it going and it's usually fueled by the main character's misbelief about the world. Right. So it's like, if that character, um, so like in the novel I'm writing right now, um, my main character's misbelief would probably be, 
well, I can't say because it, it would reveal, it would reveal the, <laughs> the twist. Um, but for instance, like if you're writing a romance um, and it's a second chance romance, so it's like high school sweethearts that broke up and they get to come back together. Maybe that main character's misbelief is that love is never real. Like yeah. love is never real. And so that fuels their decision making. Mm. So it's like they might choose to do something because they believe that and that's what keeps it moving forward. Right. And so it's um I really like her method of like doing that because I find that when you nail down what the character's misbelief is, it's very easy to get from point A to point Z of them realizing they have a misbelief and what their new belief is about the world. It also seems like it might be easy to, because this is another one of my issues is that I always write, especially in my first Mm -hmm. novel, I always write as the character doing things, how I would do them. Uh And that's just not your, your main character is not going to be you in every single one. Yeah. So then how do you determine what, how they make their decisions? And that's a really good way to do it. Yes, absolutely. If you, if you can give them a misbelief that is like their driving force, Mm -hmm. it will make their decisions so easy Mm -hmm. to make for you because it's like, it might not be my decision, but it's what they believe. So that's what they would choose. Like if you have a character. So for instance, and for Rosie, I would say that Winona her belief about the world is that it is a very scary place. Mm-hmm. The world is not safe to her. It is a very scary place. And that fuels how she interacts with the world. Right. Like anxieties. Yes. And, she and has anxiety. And... She has PTSD. She is like mm-hmm. scared of her own shadow mm-hmm. basically. And she kind of has to overcome that to go into these places where she's putting herself in danger to try to figure out what happened to Rosie. And ultimately Hence evolution. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so if you can, if you can nail down that misbelief that they have, like what is, um, and another thing that really helps with nailing down the misbelief is if you can articulate what the theme of the story is. Mm-hmm. So like for Rosie, I think the real theme of that is, um, like it's that advocacy for victims like it's saying that um you know a crime it doesn't just affect the person that mm-hmm. is dead mm-hmm. like there is a whole ripple effect of who <laughs> you literally spout everything that we say yeah like, that's everything that we say on every episode it's in the book because mm-hmm. yeah, it's a hundred percent true oh yeah it's it does not end with yeah. that person it, it affects is... hundreds of people oh, if not thousands yes. or millions like it depending. has a ripple mm-hmm. effect that keeps going outward mm-hmm. and um and it can be devastating yeah. for those people that are left in the wake of it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the theme of For Rosie is like, you know, it doesn't end with the person who dies. Right. It goes on. It yeah. continues. And um, so nailing down the theme of your book is very uh, critical in kind of determining where you want the story to go. Because it tells you where you want to take that misbelief to turn it. Like to what their new belief is going to mm-hmm. be. Like... That maybe, and that's usually like a big part of the yes, book. Yes, absolutely. When they realize that their beliefs are changing. Exactly. Yeah. Like a really, a really good example would be in a romance. So for like, if this character does not believe love is real, mm-hmm. and they go to believing that love is real, that's a huge shift in their worldview. Right. Like they, they go from you know, none of this is like. None of this matters. Like, you know, I don't need to be involved with people because, you know, it's not real. Why mm-hmm. would I even waste my time? Like, maybe this character only has one night stands. Mm-hmm. Like, they, you know, they're like, love is not real. <laughs> like, I'm just going through life doing my own thing. But for them to get to that point where they believe, whoa, 
maybe it is real. Like there really is a lot of character development that happens mm-hmm. and like experiences that they have to and, have to get yeah, in there. Cause they might reject that. Yes. Absolutely. Their, their new point of view. Yes. They might reject it. And absolutely. so then that's where you get the big, you know, fights yes, that people exactly. have and the falling outs and exactly. the, the stuff that you have to where you get, get their, over their to get back moment. and yeah, yeah, get back and get the girl. Exactly. But yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. And it can work for any genre like mm-hmm. um, that misbelief idea, which I love because I really do think having that, like being able to articulate what do they believe about the world that is not true, that is driving all of their decisions that will ultimately like bring them to a climax mm-hmm. where they fix that misbelief like right. that. I think that makes a good story. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I really, really like that. So story genius by Lisa Crone. I can't recommend it enough. It's such a, it's, it's such a good book for understanding story, just yeah. like story in general, like how that works. And because like as humans, we are like, our brains are primed for story like we've been telling stories since we were cavemen yeah you know there are petroglyphs in caves telling yeah. stories <laughs> and like so we you know people used to sit around campfires and tell stories when we mm-hmm. were like a more primitive species and stuff like that people still do that like on camping trips and stuff you know you tell ghost stories and um so it's you know it's a whole thing I'm very passionate about writing <laughs> I love talking about writing like I am I could talk about it all day. I would love to get into, I mean, I want to get mm-hmm. into the crime thriller. Okay. Yeah. Genre. I am down to help however I can. Um, My brain is a very investigative brain, uh-huh. but every time I come up with something, I'm like, oh, that's probably been done. And then I just like push it aside. Here's the thing about that. It may have <laughs> oh. been done, but it has not been done by you. Oh. And your voice is important yeah. because you will have a different spin on it than anybody else. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, that market is big. <laughs> like that market is big and there's space for every new voice. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. Just anytime you have that thought, just say, yeah, but it hasn't been done by me. But I didn't do it. Exactly. And it matters like that because <laughs> I used to struggle with that too. Like mm-hmm. that oh, there are no original ideas or anything like that. But, you know, there are because it's it's your voice. It's like what you bring to that story, right? Your life experiences that shape how you write about what you write about. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I think being like the investigator that you are Mm -hmm. would lend itself so much to like detective fiction or like, um, any, any of that. Like, I'm always like, I would, I could write such a great investigator, mm -hmm. but then on the flip side of that, of that, I'm like, another investigator novel, you know? Oh, it's no, like, <laughs> don't think like that. Don't like, think like that I at feel all. like today people want to read about the normal average mm-hmm. stay-at-home mom who mm-hmm. stumbles into something and has mm-hmm. to investigate it or, you know, yeah, whatever. Like domestic thrillers, yeah, like yeah. that kind of, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, there is definitely a huge amount of people that still love reading like professional investigator fiction mm-hmm. like that absolutely that is a huge market yeah we'll have to see yeah <laughs> we'll have to see what happens yeah you could totally do it I, I am and I'm like the biggest cheerleader for anyone that wants to like do this <laughs> like I will cheer you on all I can and all that you want me to because I mean it's like 
it's seriously vastly different from obviously from writing mm-hmm. zombie novels. Mm-hmm. It's vastly different even yeah. from writing true crime mm-hmm. because true crime you don't have to make anything up. Right. Yeah. You know, it's not coming from my brain. Right. It's me being able to tell you the story mm-hmm. in a certain way that you understand it, yeah. you know, and that you can advocate for it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like the crime fiction is all from, you know, upstairs and it's right. like yeah. I have so much up there, I don't know what to utilize. (laughs) Yeah, I think, you know, I think with that, like, something that you could come at it with is maybe figuring out who your investigator character is first. Yeah. Like, kind of figure out who is this person and what makes them unique and, like, what do they bring to private investigating that might be different from someone else Mm -hmm. kind of a thing. Yeah. We'll have to see. Hopefully Mm -hmm. in around January, I will finally have time. Yeah. I've been working myself to death. Oh, gosh. So I'll finally I, have time to sit down and maybe write something like I'm that. I'm about hopefully. to jump back on the working myself to death because yeah. I've been taking a break for a little while now. So. You know what? Though, that's fine. Mm-hmm. I'm actually, so we have been going nonstop. We started season four last December. Mm-hmm. And we have pumped out two, three, four, five episodes a month mm-hmm. since then. Wow. On top of writing a new true crime book. That is, oh my gosh. And on top of, I mean, that's like, you have to go and interview people. Mm-hmm. and That's and, a lot. And getting documents and getting autopsy reports and reading police reports and mm-hmm. trial transcripts and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And like... It's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That's a ton of work. Like, I admire that so much. And now we're just like, okay, when are we going to have time for, like, book signings mm-hmm. and stuff like that? And it's just, mm-hmm. I, I was like, at the end of this season, which we're going to wrap up in November, I believe, mm-hmm. I'm like, I'm taking the biggest break. Yeah. I've been oh, going yeah. nonstop for a year. Yeah. You <laughs> I deserve didn't even it. realize. You deserve it. I need a break. Yeah. And it's hard because especially when you have a true crime podcast, people come at you all the time with new cases. Mm-hmm. Can you help us advocate for our loved one? Mm-hmm. I want to do that. Oh, yeah. Believe yeah. me. Yeah. You're like, that's the whole reason it's, I do this. Yeah. I want to do this. I yeah. want to do it. Um, and I absolutely hate telling people I just don't have time to even look into it for like months and months and mm-hmm. months. Yeah. Um, but it is what it is. Like, yeah. I can't, you know. I think what you it, guys are doing is great. Like, I think it's so, it is so refreshing to see a true crime podcast where I feel like you guys, like, it is so obvious how much you care. Yeah. It is so obvious. And I think there are so many, like, true crime content creators that um it's not about that for them Mm -hmm. it's not about like helping people like genuinely trying to help people and I think what you guys are doing is wonderful yeah we've even butt heads with quite a few other true crime Mm -hmm. podcasts Mm -hmm. just because we don't the way that they do things is not how we do things I can imagine that and so you know it's like well Mm -hmm. you know we we try to put our victims first, mm-hmm. our victims' families first, mm-hmm. um, their wishes first. If mm-hmm. we can get a hold of them and get them on board, that's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, we try to focus on education and mm-hmm. advocacy. Like, I want people to learn something mm-hmm. when they're here. Even if they're consuming true crime for entertainment purposes, mm-hmm. you're going to learn something. Right. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You're going to learn what a mm-hmm. restraining order is, or you're yeah. going to learn about strangulation, or mm-hmm. you're... You know, you're going to learn about domestic violence and something. You're yeah. going to learn something. Mm. And I love so, that. yeah. And and so 
I, I think I sneak that in there most of the time. Yeah. But some people might be on to me. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I think that's great, too, because even even if someone comes for just the entertainment, mm-hmm. those are such valuable things to know. Yeah. Like, as to, for prevention oh, of yeah. crime. Yeah. Like, that is such, that's a huge thing that you're doing right there. Absolutely. Yeah. We are all about situational awareness mm-hmm. and... Um, personal safety and yeah. stuff like that and and yeah and so we kind of there's been a lot of other true crime podcasts we've butt heads with a lot of there's been at least two true crime um festivals you know mm-hmm. cons that we have butt heads with and was like we're sorry we're not going to participate because yeah. we just don't feel like your beliefs are our yeah. beliefs and mm-hmm. and that's fine you do you mm-hmm. but you know we just yeah. don't want to partake yeah and so it gets hard, mm-hmm. like in this genre. But mm-hmm. yeah, I oh my is. gosh, yeah, I like I completely I respect what you're doing so much. I think it's wonderful. Well, and that's why I take these little breaks and do like the Ravens reviews and talk to mm-hmm. authors and stuff like that because it's like it's a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. And and this is my entertainment is reading. Yeah, and mm-hmm. I love crime fiction and horror oh, and, and stuff like that. So same. I so, love. I love me a good, dark, twisty thriller. Yeah. I love <laughs> like, authors. Yeah. And mm. I believe here, and I'm one of those people that I'm like, I don't care who you are. I'm going to treat you the same mm-hmm. on my show. I'm going to treat you as if you've sold a bazillion books mm-hmm. because everyone deserves that same yeah. treatment mm-hmm. and respect. And so, you know, whether it's Kathy Reichs or, you know, someone who's just put out their very first mm-hmm. book or whatever, it's like, again, I'm a, I'm a big cheerleader. Yeah. I like to cheer people on. I like to see people succeed. Mm-hmm. Just what you said, this space is big enough for everybody. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It is like, it is totally big yeah. enough for everybody. I mean, and I think, and I, I really, anytime anyone comes to me with the thing about like, I don't have any original ideas. Like I'm, I, I assure you, you do. Like in there somewhere. <laughs> I, I assure you. And also like, just because you're a new person telling it, that makes it new. That yeah. makes it fresh. Yeah. Like it is like, and maybe there's maybe, maybe that's me being a little narcissistic. Like I'm like, but they haven't heard it from me yet. <laughs> I don't know. But, um, but I think that's true. I think, I think everybody brings something valuable in their perspective that they can show through their writing mm-hmm. that, like I can't, like I can't write the same story you would. Yeah. And I can't write the same story that Kathy Reichs would. Right. You know, so I think there's value that people bring to writing, like that comes from their individual individuality. Yeah. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, I appreciate you being with me today. Oh my gosh. I have had so much fun. <laughs> like so much fun. You're never going to get rid of me now. Uh, Well, you're probably going to have to stick around because I have, I have other things to talk to you okay good okay good yeah (laughs) but yeah um tell my listeners where they can find you i am um at irioki on instagram and at marnie writes thrillers on instagram and my podcast irioki is available pretty much everywhere you might want to listen to it um and i haven't put out any new episodes for a while but that is about to change so um looking forward to that yeah and you can find my books on amazon and um uh, uh, you can find them on Amazon in ebook and other places in paperback, like Barnes and Noble and stuff in paperback. Um, and then on my website, MarnieWritesThrillers.com. So, yay. That's it. Uh, I do want to say, if you're just feeling up to it, if you just want a uh, signed book, 
I ordered a signed copy off of the website. Yes, she did. So you can do that as well. (laughs) Yes, you can totally do that. And I actually have a sale going, and you can get all my books for a discount. So yeah, All signed. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you again for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next time on The Sirens Podcast.
Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Oh my gosh, that was so much fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Raven's Reviews. Catch more next time on the Sirens Podcast. Do we have an outro? That's our outro, isn't it?